Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. I'd say I hate to told you, tell us to say I told you so, but I told you so, but I don't because I, I told you so. Last May, the State Department of Motor Vehicles, with the blessing of Governor Tony Evers, because of the pandemic, announced a program to waive road tests for 16 and 17 year old drivers. You know, historically, it has been. A, a rite of passage that you you turn 16 or 17, you know, your dad, mom or dad takes you down to the DMV, you schedule that appointment and you have a, a road test. Well, all right, the Evers administration, never wanting being one to let a good crisis go to waste, said, look, here, here's the deal. We 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 want to make it easier for people to get driver's licenses. We've got these DMV offices that aren't open as much. There is a backlog. So what we will do is we will create a program because of the pandemic. Because of this, we will allow, through part of a program, we will allow young drivers to get their driver's licenses without actually having to take a road test. Now, here's what they have to do. They have to have a learner's permit and be free from violations on the learner's permit. They have to have taken a completed driver's education class. They have to have completed a behind-the-wheel training with an instructor, and they have to have completed at least 30 hours of driving with their parents and have their parents sponsor them. So mom or dad essentially gets to decide, I'm going to let my kid waive the road test. And the reason that we were doing this, again, was because the DMV offices were closed. You had backlogs, among other things. So we didn't want the kids to have to come down to um, perhaps risk themselves and their lives with COVID, all those different types of things. All right. I thought it was a bad idea at the time. We've talked about this once or twice. The DMV announced yesterday that they now want to make this program that they implemented during the the pandemic because of COVID. Now they want to make it permanent. In other words, you will not, if you're 16 and 17 years old and you meet these different criteria, you will not have to go through a, a road test. Just all you have to do is have mom or dad sign off and you will, in fact, Get your license. I thought it was a bad idea at the time. I continue to think it is a bad idea. But again, it's very clear that I think this is what the Evers administration, the DMV, had in mind all along. Let me share with you an email I received in March from uh, from a listener. And I want to read a portion of this, and then we're going to open this up for discussion. Jeff, I remember back in May, that would be May of last year, you talked on your show about how Wisconsin was going to start waiving the road tests for teen drivers. I am a driving instructor in the Milwaukee area, and I am still dealing this with this waiver now. It is set to expire May 26, but I imagine it could get extended. Yes, they want to not only extend the waiver, the Evers administration wants to make this permanent. I wanted to reach out to you because I have not heard anyone discuss this since last May, and I don't think that most of the public is aware that the waiver is going on and our state is still just handing out driver's licenses. I wrote a letter about the waiver, and I want to include some experts here. 
The students who tell me they are taking the waiver, not a single student has told me they are doing it for fear of contracting COVID, the entire reason why the waiver is still in place. The students tell me they are glad they don't have to take the test because now they won't be stressed about it. Or my favorite, they wouldn't have had time for the test. People made time for road tests for decades prior to COVID, and I'm sure they would have managed. The road test is typically 15 minutes long. My overall point with this asinine aspect of the waiver is that no one is grateful for the very reason why the waiver was put in place at all. COVID is not on any of the students' minds. The waiver is supposed to be a savior for them, not a savior from a health standpoint, which is what the waiver was supposed to be, but a savior savior in that they now get a free pass on the driver's license. Some have even laughed to me about how easy it is. They are in disbelief that one literally needs to do nothing to get his or her driver's license. Sure, they have to complete complete driver's education, and I do my best to ready them for the test that ultimately never happens. But completing driver's education is this that a, just that a completion. There is no grading or passing. They just get it done. According to a DOT administrator, Administrator, Since the waiver began in May through December of 2020, there were 31,438 people who took the waiver. This is roughly the combined population of Muskego and Hales Corners. DOT officials attempt to reassure and comfort us by saying that in 2019, 71% of students passed the road test on their first attempt. Now, I want to stop here. He's saying 71%. I've seen that number. The DOT also throws around the number 80% pass at the first time. So there's a little bit of a variance, but you get the point. Let's use his 71%. 71% of students passed the road test on their first attempt. Using those statistics then, it is safe to say that if we take the number of students who took the waiver, apply the 71% figure from 2019, that about 22,000 of the students would have passed in their first attempt anyways, maybe. This would leave the remaining 9,117 students failing on their first attempt who are on the roads legally now with us. If one wants to find the definition of free pass, see the Wisconsin road test waiver. And we all get to share the roads with these people. And again, may I remind you, without any request from or input from driving schools, um, people thought that this would be a good idea. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. No input from the legislature, no vote from the legislature, this is purely an administrative effort, and they might get away with making it permanent. I know Evers is also a supporter of this, so let's tee this up. All right, we, we have carnage on the roadways. We have lots of people who drive without licenses. And believe me, I, I understand that there's all sorts of problems with reckless drivers and people driving irresponsibly and people who don't have licenses and people driving without insurance, and this is just perhaps one small sliver of an overall problem. But under the circumstances, is now permanently getting rid of a road test for young drivers a good idea? The reason we did it in the first place was because of COVID. Okay, got it. COVID is now over, and the DMV wants to make this permanent. 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this program started because of COVID. We're, the DMVs are shut down. We, we don't, we've got this backlog. We don't want to make the 16 and 17 year old drivers actually come, potential drivers come in and prove that they can drive on the road. So we'll create this criteria where we just waive the road test. Oh, okay. All right. I thought it was a bad idea at the time, but, but I understand, you know, pandemic, tough times tough things. Well, now the Evers administration wants to make this permanent, COVID or no, no road test if you meet some of these criteria for 16 and 17-year-olds. To me, that that makes no sense at all. Make people prove that they know how to drive. Let's start with Mark in Hales Corners. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Sure. Um, so, Great timing on this topic today because my 16-year-old daughter uh, just took her driving road test this past Tuesday. Okay. And uh, and she passed it, and she was very proud. And, you know, I just want to share the story because I, I don't think it's just about, um, you know, having the ability to drive legally. You know, there's a maturation in this. And, you know, I was the parent who spent a lot of practice time driving with her, right. and I could see her habits. And she's a good driver. And the point of the test, what I really saw, is it validated in herself that she knows she's a good driver. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that's a really critical growth part of, of a 16-year-old. So I, I'm in complete support of the road test. And, you know, when we signed up for it, um, appointments are being made. Sure. I mean, that was a full day on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, even going back several weeks ago, you know, pick out a date. There's kids out there. They're taking these road tests. So it's, it's good to see. Was your daughter upset that you just didn't let her wave through and then you made her go and, and take the road test? No, she wasn't. She wanted to prove not only to herself, but to me and her mom and her family that she is a good driver. And, yeah. and that's how she could validate it. Yeah, and she passed. And so th- there was no big deal about it, right? She went, she demonstrated that she could do all the things you have to do. She gets her license and you're off to the races. Exactly. And, and she's been driving, um, you know, herself to school now. Um, she, she's very responsible. She's telling me exactly where she's going. And sure. you're right. It, it didn't take more than 20 minutes. Right. She was out on the road during the test part for literally nine minutes. Right. Now, thanks for calling. Again, see, th- this is it. Now, again, there, there's two different numbers that are floating around. What One is that about 7 out of 10 people pass it on their first, in this category, pass it the first time. The other number that the DMV is throwing around now said in 2019, like about 80% did. I, I don't know what's accurate. There's two numbers. But regardless, that, that means that somewhere between... I don't know, 15 to 30 percent of of the people, the first time drivers who take the test fail it. All right. 15 to 30 percent. And we're making it easy now for those those people to get driver's licenses that could not pass the the test. And the other number the DMV flows throws around is that like more than 90 percent of the people pass it out after their second time. Okay, well, that's that that that's fine. I, I accept that. But. If you fail it the first time, you figure out what it is that you can't do, you know, what it is that what your limitations are, and you learn how to do that, and then you come back and they pass it the second time, which tells me there is the value to taking the test in the on the first occasion. Let's talk to um, Jim in Hills Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, I had absolutely no idea that this was going on over the past year, none whatsoever. 
And uh, I can't imagine that the insurance companies would be happy with it. Your progressives, your AmFams, you know, everything I do in the small business I operate, we do with an eye towards the insurance. Mm-hmm. So will they like it or not? And I can't believe that the insurance companies would be happy with this kind of lackadaisical attitude. Well, that's a very interesting point that if you're, I mean, again, it's with insurance, a lot of times you, you know, you get discounts and stuff. If you're a good driver, you get discounts, you know, for all sorts of things. If you take various precautions, if you have the, the, the thing that will report how fast your mileage is. Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see moving forward what insurers will do with young drivers that are, a higher risk group to begin with now young drivers who in a post pandemic world don't have to don't have to prove that they know how to drive before the state well, gives them a license yeah and and let's face it it's human nature to do to work harder on something and study harder if you know you're going to take a test on sure. it oh sure no absolutely now, jim you you raise an outstanding point and look i i understand there's lots of problems on the roadways but is this is this really is this really a problem? Is this really something that we need to have a massive change? And, and yes, even if it's true that for 70 to 80% of the first-time drivers, the 16 and 17-year-olds, they come prepared and they are able to demonstrate that they know what they're doing before they can get a license, even if it's true that the vast majority can pass on the first occasion, does that is that a justification for saying we're going to do away with the tests because... You, you do have the effect of weeding out, again, that 15 to 30 percent of people who don't know how to drive. Now, look, I'm not naive. I, I understand what goes on in the roadways. You've got all sorts of problems. You've got, you got people, you've got 14 and 15-year-olds stealing cars and driving at 90 miles an hour, blowing through red lights. So I, I understand that this is a small sliver of the problem, but this is at least a sliver of the problem that the state can, in fact, control. Parents who want to do the right thing. I would also think that from a parent's perspective, while I understand it's convenient just to kind of sign off on the waiver and not have to take the kid down and get through the road test. I would think that this would be, from a parent's perspective, this would be validation of the fact that, hey, my kid knows how to drive. My kid knows how to do the parallel parking and stuff. And yes, I've been out driving with them. And yes, I think that they're a good driver and stuff. But let's get them in a situation where they're not just with, you know, mom or dad. Let's see how they handle this when they're driving the car and they're being put through all their different paces. And interestingly enough, as the point the driver's ed instructor made when he sent me that email a couple months ago, outraged about this, it's it's like it's not like driver's ed. Driver's ed, you you take driver's ed, you you go through driver's ed, and then you say, boy, I, I've completed it. Well, okay, there's completing it, and then there's completing it well. You just you kind of complete it. Is this really a policy that we need to adopt, especially without any sort of debate, really, and without any sort of input from the legislature? Why would you potentially make the roads even a little bit more dangerous? What's the upside of it? The answer is not much. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The brew crew in the palm of your hand if you live in Milwaukee, Washington. Washington, Waukesha, Ozaki, and Racine County. You can now listen to the Brewers on the WTMJ mobile app or at WTMJ.com. Bob Euchre and the Brewers, now easier for you to enjoy on your phone or computer. Download the WTMJ mobile app today. All right. It is a name I am willing to bet that almost nobody knows. Nobody knows who this guy is, but he 
he invented something or was part of inventing something that affects everybody's daily life. All right, Mike Spaulding, you're in here. Before you start the news, here's your test. Spencer Silver. You know who Spencer Silver is? I think I do. Do you want me to spoil it? Can I, can I give it a shot? Well, okay. Well, first of all, okay, Gru, producing the show today and always. Do you know who Spencer Silver is? No, uh, not You do point. not. Okay. All right. Let's see. Mike Spaulding. He's Spencer the S- sticky note guy. Okay. Now, yeah, right? You got it in one. Look at the big brain on Mike Spaulding. <laughs> How did you know that? Did you see it in the news or did you know that from before? Yeah, no. Part of my daily routine is kind of going through like what day it is and the big news of the day. And that was one of them. Okay, and, yeah. good. But you, you wouldn't have known it if you hadn't seen that news Absolutely, headline. Absolutely. 100%. Right. No. Spencer Silver is the inventor of post-it notes. Well, actually, one of the two inventors. Here, here's the deal. It's a fascinating story. He he worked for for 3M that makes like Scotch tape and stuff like that. And what what happened is his his assignment was to develop the, this new kind of of glue. So that was his assignment. So he develops the, this glue. And it turns out to be a failure. I mean, because it, 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 the the adhesive, it like like the Elmer's glue and stuff had more adhesive power. So he he develops this glue, and it it doesn't turn out to be like Gorilla Glue or anything like that. It doesn't have the stickiness. Okay, so everybody thinks it's a failure. Well, one of the the other guys who who worked at then 3M started noticing that. Well, I gee, I I want to like take a piece of paper and I just want to like. Put it up on on my desk, and I want it to hold. I don't want to take like heavy duty glue. And what they found about this glue that Spencer Silver had developed was that even though it it wasn't, again, it didn't have this huge capacity to adhere. It was one of these things that you could put it on the back of a piece of paper. You could peel it off, and it wouldn't lose its adhesive quality. Hence, they developed the post note things. So. What happened to Mr. So- like did he get a humongous promotion? <laughs> no, he did not. Um no 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 he did not because they couldn't find a, a marketable application again for for this until years later so they 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 created the the prototype for this and of course, you know, it, it became this huge hit but but no, it, it's not like they, you know, turned. It's, it's not like he made a fortune out of this whole yes, thing. Yes, that was my question. Right. He owned six boats. Apparently. Right. No, unlike the, um, unlike you know, Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael. You know, his, um, his, his mother invented um, liquid paper. Do you remember what liquid paper was? No. Okay. Liquid. Pa- <laughs> <laughs> and, and my producer. Okay. I mean, all right. Well, what what liquid paper was back before you, you we had. Before you had computers and everybody did word processing stuff, people had these things called typewriters. You know, where you. you I'm still you, with you on the typewriter. Okay, you're with me on the typewriters. So you type the stuff out. Liquid paper is this like, like white, milky substance that what you do is like if you made a typographical error. Well, here, if you're on a computer, you can just go back and you erase it. The typogra- with liquid paper, what you would do is you would, let's say you've typed an M instead of an L or whatever, you could. Actually, pull out the piece of paper. You take the liquid paper. It had a little brush, and you brush over the M, and then you go back and you type the L on it. It was a correcting thing. I think in my generation, whiteout. I think it was well, right, it got branded into okay, whiteout. White, okay, yes, right. Okay, but that, okay. that's that's liquid paper. That's what that is. But that was Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. His 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 mother huh. developed that. That's why. You know, he he dropped out of the monkeys he, uh, for a while because he was rich. <laughs> it was, <laughs> didn't need to tour anymore. It did, did not need to tour anymore. All right. In any event, um, Spencer Silver, rest in peace.
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. On the way out of the studio, Mike Spaulding made an interesting point off air. He said, that's kind of the lesson of like the liquid paper or the, the post-a-note story. It's don't let anybody tell you your idea is stupid. I mean, the, the, the post-a-note thing, again, it was viewed as this huge failure. The guy works for 3M. His assignment was, okay, find this particular type of adhesive. He develops this type of adhesive, and it's like, ah, oh, this isn't what we wanted. It's not that sticky. But then all of a sudden, well, what are we going to do with this? Oh, wait a second. This will adhere to paper, and you can pull off one and you can stick it on something else and next thing you know you've got post notes or or liquid paper well i mean all right who who you know you've made this mistake typing you know who who wants to have that little thing painted over well all right lots of people apparently do so that is in fact the message all right here's the story reported on cbs 58 local milwaukee aldermen are urging the milwaukee fire and police commission to consider a standard for towing unregistered vehicles, and they're asking the Milwaukee Police Department to do it. Local leaders say there are dozens of unregistered cars in the city. My guess is there are hundreds, if not thousands, of unregistered cars in the city. They say they believe these unregistered cars are linked to reckless driving problems, and they say getting the cars towed might just help police in the long run. If Milwaukee police pull over a vehicle that does not have a registration, I want the car towed. I don't want that individual to get back in that car and continue to create mayhem on the streets of Milwaukee, said 7th District Milwaukee Alderman Khalif Rainey. Uh, 7th District Alderman Rainey is asking the Fire and Police Commission to create an operating procedure to require Milwaukee police to tow unregistered vehicles. He says this may help curb reckless driving. He said, look, we're not creating a law here. We're simply asking them to take this matter up into to get into this business and see if they can create a standard. Um, Ninth Alder District Alderwoman Shantaya Lewis is in agreement with Rainey. The car is smashed in. The side mirror is hanging. No bumper. You tell me they've been in. You can tell me they've been in a severe accident. So those are indicators they're driving really crazy and reckless and not caring. So the idea is, hey, whenever the police stop a car or come across a car that is unregistered, what they do is they they. They call it and they impound it. They call the tow truck and you get that car off the street instead of somebody being able to get back and drive it again. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that, I mean, it, it takes it takes some time. You know, you can't, you know, the police, for example, don't just drive around, you know, with a tow truck right behind them. And so you know, I understand there, there's the police have a lot of different things going on. But from a quality of life perspective, If you stop somebody driving an unregistered car or you come across a car that isn't registered, is there any reason why that should not be towed? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent this isn't being done, I agree with both of these older older persons. It it should be. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Get the cars off the streets. And in some cases... My guess is what you're going to find is that, you know, the cars, once they do a little bit of investigation, end up being stolen or something like that. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario is that, all right, somebody who's the legitimate owner of the car, who's driving around with the vehicle not being registered, they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to jump through the hoops, get it registered, get it insured to get it back. Best case scenario, I guess, from the perspective of the city is if this is a car that the person refuses to register or whatever, all right, you take it away from them and you get it off the streets. 
877-867-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I appreciate that there might be a little bit of a practical issue here with, you know, do I do I want a police officer not going to a murder scene while they're waiting for a tow truck to come along? No, I, I, I don't want that. But I, I think you could work that sort of stuff out. And if that means... You know, having more private tow truck drivers on call so the cops can say, hey, we've got an unregistered vehicle. Come on out here. I'm all in favor of it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We're joined right now by Milwaukee Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Is this an idea whose time has come? Yes, it absolutely is. Um, I'm sitting in a court right now along with a number of other judges that hears reckless driving cases that oftentimes result in reckless homicides driving cases. Um, I don't mean the pun in light of the last year, but it's an epidemic in Milwaukee. I'm sure you noted just recently that last year in 2020, we had the highest amount of driving or vehicular homicides we've ever had in the county. I think it was 107. So every two or three days, you have someone killed on the roads in the city of Milwaukee primarily, but also all around the county. Do I want police officers taken away from responding to homicides or shootings or domestic violence to tow a car? No. But I actually commend Alderman Rainey because this is a problem that's got worse and worse and worse for the last five or six years. We've collectively, and it's not my role, but the police and the aldermen and others have done very, very little to combat the problem. Mm -hmm. And this is one step in the right direction. It has to be taken. Will the inconvenience inconvenience officers? Yes. But more, more importantly, it'll disrupt at times the reckless driving, which is just a horrible problem in this community. Well, well, right, exactly. I guess I'm trying to see what the downside of this is. I mean, if, if you're, if you come across, now some people are texting me already, Judge, and they're saying, well, well, they, they shouldn't do it the first time, that there should be warnings that are given out. But, but that's, that's not going to solve the problem because for a lot of people, they, they know they're driving in it with an unregistered vehicle. They don't care about, you know, being warned or not. You can give them a warning and they're just going to drive away and they're not going to do anything about it. This is a way of, I think, pressuring people to do the right thing. Well, right, and you need to, just like a judge, uh, with our discretion, police officers, prosecutors have discretion. There would be circumstances maybe where it's not appropriate, but it's one step uh, in the right direction. You know, again, it's not my area, but not just as a judge, but as a citizen, I mean, it's a horrible problem, and we can't continue to have people people's lives lost and people's entire lives and worlds turned upside down with the reckless and, as some people have said to me, ruthless driving that goes on at times in this community. Right. It needs Ju- to be addressed. Judge, th- thanks for the perspective. Again, we're talking about unregistered vehicles. We're, we're not, at least the way I understand this, we're not talking about uh, a vehicle who, whose registration right now isn't up to date. We're, we're talking about the vehicles that are unregistered. Look, I understand that sometimes, okay, it, it might be a situation where you're supposed to renew your driver's license. You're supposed to renew your license by you know May of, not your license, but you're supposed to renew your registration by May of, of whatever, and you, you don't get around to doing it. You don't get the emission test, wh- whatever that is. That's not what this is addressed at, at least the way I understand this. This is addressed at the vehicles that, that aren't registered, not, hey, Jeff, your registration is expired. You need to get take this taken care of. Here's a warning or here's your citation or whatever. This is the vehicle is not registered. 
And there's a lot of those cars that are out there as well. Why should anybody be driving around in a vehicle that is not registered? And like I say, worst case scenario or, you know, worst case scenario is that somebody, we get the car off the street and then somebody comes in and they say, gee, I, okay, now I've got to go through the hoops with the DMV and getting the thing registered. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Chris on the West Side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I'm thinking that's a, a really great idea, but I would increase it and um, also give the authorization to the parking checkers. Those cars are parked at times, mm-hmm. and if they see one that doesn't have plates on, or if the last sticker on the plate is about two years old, let them have the authorization to uh, have it towed in as well. Yeah, to call it in, right? I, right. Thank, I, again, I'm 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 with you on this. I mean, and look, and I, I mean, I, I don't want the idea. I don't like the idea of you know having like the the tow truck pirates driving around and just hooking up cars and pulling them off the streets willy nilly. And we're not talking about that. But certainly, yeah, if if a parking checker, for example, comes across a a car no license plates, the vehicle isn't registered to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with let's let's force the issue because if you just put a ticket on that windshield, you know that the person nine times out of ten is going to come out, take the ticket, ball it up, throw it away, and then it's going to be back out on the streets next. This is one where I agree with the two older people, persons on this. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Peter in Glendale. Peter, hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, I am on the road all day in Milwaukee for, for my real estate business, and I've spent time on the road just counting cars for like a half hour to an hour without uh, plates and even going down side streets. And you can count six and an hour, six to ten cars an hour easily without plates on them. High percentage, very high percentage of cars in Milwaukee do not have plates on them. And some of these are stolen. A lot of them are just on the road illegally. Right. They need to pull them over. I've I've talked to Milwaukee police about this at uh, Area 6 and Area 5, and they just say, hey, they're they're too busy doing uh, everything else. They don't have time for it, which to me is just an excuse. Well, right. Yeah, I mean. I'm frustrated by it. Yeah, no, no, thanks for calling. Well, see, like one of our texters makes an interesting point. And again, I I appreciate this issue if you're saying, okay, do I want a police officer sitting by the side of the road waiting for like a tow truck driver to come up while you've got like shootings and shots fired incidents? Well, of course not. I mean, I I understand that. But one of the listeners makes an interesting point. What what about putting boots on these things? You know, you, 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 you find one of these vehicles or you pull the vehicle over and by the side of the road and instead of just simply letting somebody drive off in it and, and even if, if they say okay we can't get a tow truck there for 15 minutes or whatever oh okay fine you, you you put the boot on the thing so it's not going anywhere and then you know the tow truck driver comes up and they, they scoop it up I mean I would think that there would be all sorts of creative ways that you could address something like this to get these cars off the street now there's a couple people saying well there's a state supreme court case that, that's out there that might make this difficult uh, without going into details I don't think so that that's to me it's it deals with different sort of stuff that this is if you're out on the road in a car that is unregistered and again i'm not talking about hey you're you're 60 days behind in, in getting it registered these are the cars the no license plate things they don't come back to anybody that's the difference here people should not be driving those vehicles and you need to get them off the street and i think these aldermen are on to something all right when we come back in the one o'clock hour of the program all right should Should Colonial Pipeline have paid a ransom 
to these cyber terrorists. We're going to discuss that. All right. A Florida governor takes an interesting step in light of the CDC's ruling about masks. Should Tom Barrett follow suit? And we will talk about where do we go now with the whole mask mandate now that the CDC says you don't need to wear them if you're vaccinated. All that's coming up and a lot more in the one o'clock hour of the program. Please stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yesterday afternoon, the Center for Disease Control, the Follow the Science people, finally started, finally, finally, finally started following the science. Namely, vaccines work. That's one of the reasons why I encourage people to get a vaccination. The reality is, once you are vaccinated for covid Is it impossible that you could get it again? No, it's not impossible, but it is extremely unlikely. That's why you should get vaccinated. My point for the last month or two, especially since we're now at a point where anybody who wants to get vaccinated can, in fact, get vaccinated, has been, all right, there's no longer a reason to have a lot of these mandates that are out there because the truth of the matter is, if you want to protect yourself, you, you can you can get vaccinated and then you can protect yourself. You don't pose a danger to anyone else. I, again, and, and I understand that you can walk outside and a meteor can come and hit you. But the numbers of the breakthrough infections or then you getting infected, not knowing about it and then giving it to someone else who's vaccinated slim to none, slim to none and slims on a bus out of town. So my point all along has been once you're vaccinated, you should be able to uh, avoid like the social distancing requirements, get rid of the mask rules and things like that. The CDC has been reluctant to follow that. And then, of course, you've had a lot of over-cautious health administrators who've just kind of thrown up their hands and say, okay, well, we're following the CDC guidelines. We, there's nothing that we can do, even though the COVID numbers are down. And yes, we understand all this, but there's nothing we can do because the CDC says these are the rules and we are We're in bed, figuratively speaking, with the CDC. Well, yesterday, CDC comes out and they essentially say for vaccinated people, um, you you don't need to wear masks. There's a couple exceptions, you know, like in public transportation areas, airplanes and things like that. But they essentially say indoors or outdoors, you do not need to wear masks and there's no need for social distancing. All right, fine. That's that is the thing that's out there. Now, the problem, the problem is you, you don't know who has been vaccinated and who hasn't been. So some people are still arguing, well, right, because we can't tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't, that means we still have to have mask rules in place. We still have to have all these social distancing rules in place because even though the science says for the people who've gotten the vaccinations, they're, they're protected we don't know that there might be other people out there who, who aren't, and, and we can't trust them. So everybody has to continue to follow the rules. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In light of this latest guidance, I think it's pretty clear. I think all mask rules and social distancing rules need now to be rolled back. If an individual business decides that they want to still have people continue to wear masks, the individual business, I guess, has the right to do it. But I think 
candidly, that's going to discourage a lot of people from going in because there's no longer a reason to do this. So this is the point. The city of Milwaukee, very, it's crickets. They're, they're not saying anything. city of Milwaukee, apparently, at least as it stands now, continues to have a very, very restrictive mask mandate, despite the fact that the CDC says, nope, you, you, you don't need to do this. I think it's time do away with the mask mandates. That is following the science. Understanding that there's going to be some people who haven't been vaccinated, they are taking a risk. And they've got to live with that risk. And they, the risk is that they might get COVID. Now, if it turns out that all of a sudden you see a huge spike in the COVID numbers, which you won't, but if it turns out you do, well, maybe you have to reassess. But right now, I think it's time to do away with the mask mandates, follow the CDC guidelines, and see where we go from here. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I was in a restaurant last night outside, not outside, outside of Milwaukee County. So that there's no, there's no mask mandates. And, and the way they were handling it, they had a sign saying, we're not requiring people to wear masks. If, if you want, if you would prefer that your server when they come up to the table, wears a mask, tell us, and we will accommodate you. But otherwise, people were sitting at the bar without masks. People were sitting at tables without masks. And you know what? I felt incredibly comfortable. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, given the CDC guidance yesterday, I think it's time to do away with all mask mandates. Businesses, again, it's a local business, individual business can, can have its own criteria. That's my position has been all along. But as far as the government, it's time to get the government out of the mask mandate business. It's time for the city of Milwaukee to move up its timeline for allowing full reopenings. I mean, I've been told that we have to follow the science for the last year. Well, okay, now it's time for government to follow the science. Let's start with Mike on the northwest uh, side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, I, feel, I feel exactly like you do. I, I've been vaccinated. Uh, my wife and I have both had COVID, and we've both gotten both shots. And I've gotten uh, to the point where, why should I wear a mask if I've had all those precautions done? And the fact is that uh, people who haven't had it, uh, they're up to their own. But we shouldn't be penalized for people who have decided not to do this. Well, Bottom line. Uh, well, right. You see, that, that, right, that, that, that's my point. This is the... I've said this all along. The incentive for getting vaccinated, other than avoiding getting sick, is this is the return to, to normalcy. Now, I understand you, you can't make people who've been vaccinated, you know, wear a scarlet V or something like that. So there, there's always going to be that degree of voluntary compliance. But I think we're at the point now, Mike, where it, it's up to people. People, you take your own risk. If it doesn't pose a danger to you once you've been vaccinated and you don't pose a danger to others, time to get rid of the mask rules. The other folks are on their own, and hopefully they will do the right thing as well. Yeah, and young people really uh, aren't uh, going to get a bad effect from this anyway. Well, right. I mean, it, it, again, it's it's the risk. Now, and I, I I encourage people unless unless you've got an underlying health reason. I, I've I've been encouraging people to to get vaccinated. I understand that there's people who just for whatever reason don't feel comfortable doing that, and no amount of talking, no amount of cajoling is going to get them to change their mind. That's why, as we've been saying repeatedly, that this whole notion of of getting to herd immunity, I, I think, is, is sort of a pipe dream. I mean, Joe Biden says he wants seventy percent of the public vaccinated by July fourth. I just don't think you're going to do that because i don't think that there's 70 percent of the people who are willing to go along with it 
All right. I don't agree with that decision, but that's kind of where they are. Why should the rest of us now that vaccines are readily available and now that the CDC has confirmed what we've known for quite a while, that once you're vaccinated, you're not a risk. Why should everybody else have to suffer under these mask rules? 855-616-1620. Back with more discussion in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, it, it, it's a mess. Northbound 43, Hampton Freeway completely closed. When they say incident, we don't exactly, but when they say incident, that means something like an incident as opposed to an accident or a collision or something. It's not, they're not saying that like it's a semi rolled over. They're saying there's an incident. And a lot of times, I'm not saying that's what's happening now, but a lot of times that means there's a reporter shots fired or something like that. Don't know for sure, but these incidents can tend to lead to very lengthy shutdowns while they conduct investigations. So bottom line is, if if you don't believe me, anything else I say over the course of this program, when I tell you, try to avoid the free. Oh, my gosh, there's some guy I'm watching the traffic camera now who was on the on-ramp getting onto the freeway. It looks like it's at Capitol Drive, who just decided to throw it in reverse and go back down the on-ramp. Huh, that just tells you how bad it is. All right, let's talk to Andrew in Waukesha. Hi, Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? So I I think the CDC is right to start rolling some of these restrictions back, and Milwaukee would do well to follow their lead. At this point, we've been through this long enough that, generally speaking, with the exception of maybe a very small percentage, everybody's going to fit into one of three categories. Either they've had COVID already, whether they get the virus or not, they're not really at risk anymore because they've had it, or they haven't had COVID yet and they're choosing to get the vaccine, so they're not really at risk because they're vaccinated. And then those that haven't had it yet and are choosing not to get the vaccine, well, there's precautions that they can take for themselves right. with the masks and social distancing. Yeah. I think there's enough options out there that, yeah, we should be rolling back these restrictions, getting back to, I hate the term, the new normal, but whatever normal, as close as we can get. Well, right, and, and that's the individual decision that you make. And if you're in that third category you talked about, somebody that doesn't have antibodies and hasn't gotten the vaccination, oh, you're not going to do that. In, in all likelihood, at least a good percentage of people aren't. So fine, you're you're taking you're taking the risk, and that that's just going to be the reality. Now, maybe Andrew, you and I are wrong. Maybe maybe when we start taking the masks off, there's going to be so many of those people out there that that get the that continue to get COVID that the system's got to be overwhelmed. And maybe maybe at that point in time, we have to look at, do we have to start putting new restrictions in place? I don't think we're going to hit that, but I could be wrong. But I think you have to kind of give this a try just to get back to that sense of normal. Because if people have had the vaccinations, um, there's no reason that they should have to wear masks. And, you know, people say, well, what's the big deal with wearing masks? Well, I'm sorry, I don't like to wear masks. I have, I have trouble breathing through them. You can't hear people talk through them. I think it's a nuisance. And candidly, if it doesn't do anything to make the world safer because I've been vaccinated, why should you put people through that nuisance? Yeah, I agree. I don't like wearing masks either. I'm happy that things are rolling back. But you know what? If they come back in two weeks and say, well, you got to start wearing a mask again, all it is what it is, but... Right. No, exactly. No, it's a fluid situation and we're all learning as we go. Absolutely. No, thanks for the call. There's no question uh, about this. But, you know, in in this course, in the city of Milwaukee, I think there's been an overreaction constantly to this. But everybody said, follow the science. Okay, fine. 
we've been ignoring the science in many respects for the course of the last couple months when it, when vaccines have become readily available. We, we've been ignoring the science. We were ignoring the science, I think, when we talked about how we decided to roll this out. But all right, we're, we're through all this now. Now the CDC is saying, all right, you can open it up. You don't need to wear the masks. And again, if individual businesses want to make the decision to require masks, that, that that's on them. But I think that uh, the longer this goes on, it's now at a point where I, I think now it's going to get to the point where it might end up hurting some businesses because if the CDC says it's okay to wear masks inside the grocery store or inside the, the big box retailer, you, do, you don't need to wear the masks. I think that the businesses now are at a point where they're going to risk alienating people, but that's their choice. You know, the businesses can do this for as long as they want. From the perspective of public health, though, all right, if the CDC says you can open this up, I believe the presumption should be, if people are going around unmasked, the presumption should be that they have, in fact, been vaccinated. I'm not one of these people that says you have to have the, the vaccination card. To me, this is you're at a point now in this pandemic where you're assuming the risk if you decide to go out in public um, and, and you're not wearing the mask or you're not practicing social distancing, you have the options. It's on you. It's assumption of the risk. But it's time to move on. And I understand that there's some people out there who are completely uncomfortable with that, that, that are just scared of this, that are prepared to live the rest of their life, you know, again, uh, afraid that they're going to pick up a virus or something from somebody. And, and that's I, that's unfortunate in my mind, but I get it. I understand that that's out there. And so for those folks, I, I don't expect you going to, you know, outdoor festivals. You're not going to be comfortable doing that. I, that's fine. I get it. That's the choice that you are making. But for everybody else, if the science now says it's safe, we, we can't we can't restrict freedom of movement from people, given the fact that the science says it's okay. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you want to understand how how difficult it is to roll back entitlements, things that have been given, and then to try to kind of roll them back, there's a great headline in the Washington Post yesterday that, that underscores this. One of the things we are starting to realize is that the, the fact that we have continued to pay these federal unemployment benefits, we've talked about this two or three times in the last week or and a half, the fact that you know we, we pay, first it was $600, now it's $300 a week for people who are unemployed on top of their regular employment. What that means is by the time they get their regular unemployment and they get that extra 300 bucks, it they, they would need to make 16 or $17 an hour to inspire them to go back to work um, because... Otherwise, there's just more money to be made by sitting on your butt and watching TV. That is a bad way for a country to operate, but it's precisely the what's happened under the Biden administration. So now you have uh, governors in a number of states, I believe 10 at last count, who have said, look, we, we need people going back to work. And we're we're done with this. So they're they're telling the federal government we're, we don't want the three hundred dollars a week. We we don't want to wait till September. We've got more than enough jobs. We don't need it because Joe Biden, you have created a disincentive for people to go back to work, and that's bad. So the headline here's the headline in the Washington Post yesterday: Roughly nine hundred thousand people could see severe cuts in unemployment aid as Republicans seek to curb assistance. So it's those evil Republicans, and they're 
their severe cuts in unemployment aid. Isn't this terrible? And, and I guess, I mean, technically that's an accurate headline, but you could also write it saying, all right, 900,000 people will now have excuses and incentive to actually go back to work. You could write it in that fashion, but of course, you know, when you've got the media bias there, that's not exactly how they're going to do it. Bottom line is, I understand at the start of the pandemic why we gave people all sorts of money because there weren't jobs out there. They couldn't find jobs. COVID meant that they couldn't look for things. Okay, that that was in April of 2020. We're now in May of 2021. It's time to shut off the spigot and force people off the gravy train, period. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. number of people texting in saying they, they listen all day and they rely on the traffic reports. Yeah, if you were relying on the traffic report now, you would not be doing what the the silver SUV is doing right now, which is trying to force your way onto the freeway where you're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, we'll continue to keep you updated about what's going on in the roadways. But the bottom line is the full freeway closure at Hampton Avenue, northbound on I-43. Don't know how long it's going to last. Um, my guess is maybe this – I'm just looking at the Capitol Drive thing, and the, there, there's another one up. Um, I wonder if they're forcing cars off the road at Hampton. Don't know. But bottom line is stay off the freeway for at least the the near future, and we'll tell you when things open up or else you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get stuck. Okay. Um, one of the rising stars in the Republican Party, which makes him a, a target for the, the mainstream media across the country, is the governor of Florida, a guy named Ron DeSantis. He, he has all along taken an approach towards COVID, which has sort of, been different than some of what the the mainstream approach has been but i think desantis's instincts has in, have in general in general you know been correct i mean early on he recognized or believed that the the impetus needed to be on trying to protect the most vulnerable let's 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 figure out who, if they get COVID, is most likely to have a really bad reaction? You know, the, and who are they? Well, there's a, the older people, people in the nursing homes, people who have you know pre-existing conditions, all those sort of things. Recognizing that nobody wants to get COVID, and anybody who gets COVID runs the risk of dying or having to be hospitalized. But the older you are, the more pre-existing illnesses you have, the greater your chance is. And he he's been concentrating on the longest time on trying to address issues that pertain to, to them, as opposed to some of these just across the board, let's restrict everybody, let's shut everything down approaches that oh, people like Tony Evers have taken over the years. Okay, so here, here's the deal. A number of communities in Florida were bucking the statewide trend, and, and they had very, very strict closure rules and very, very strict. Okay, your, your business can't open. You can only have X number of people in there, et cetera, et cetera. And some local health officials were very, very aggressive in going out and charging people with uh, offenses, charging people, giving people massive fines for violating some of the local COVID rules. What DeSantis did yesterday is he announced that he is going to pardon any Floridian charged with violating pandemic rules. He says that I think that they have been treated very poorly. He says, I think, for example, this you know, mask mandate that they put in place in Broward County, 
I, I think that that was an overreach. And he said he planned to pardon all residents who face charges for violating COVID health mandates. And specifically, he cited gym owners. He said, you know, with our clemency board meeting in the coming weeks, we'll issue pardons not only for these gym owners, but for any Floridian who might have outstanding infractions for things like masks and social distancing. So essentially, he said, okay, this this is what we're going to do. I think some of these rules were an overreach, but we're, we're coming out of this pandemic now, so we're, we're going to we're going to move forward. In the city of Milwaukee, the health department, we've talked about this before, um, especially over the last couple months, has been extremely aggressive in fining local businesses for various violations of, of the health rules. To the point that uh, health inspectors actually hired hired like an outside firm that would go in and would, um, again, go out. They'd investigate allegations that this bar had too many people in it or that they weren't vigorously enforcing the mask rules or whatever. They would report it back to the health commissioners. The health commissioners would then issue citations. Uh, this is – it's an old number. The number I have is from – Well, I guess I think it's probably about a month old, maybe a little bit more than that. But nearly 60 businesses have been fined in the city of Milwaukee for violating COVID orders. The list that the city has shows violations like failure to wear masks, social distancing, dancing, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the total amount that's been fined um in excess of $126,000 in fines. And and again, this is my my numbers are a little bit old. My guess is it's a lot it's a lot more than that. But the last number I have is $126,000. A, a number of businesses, I know because I've heard from them, feel that they were they were unfairly singled out that the enforcement of these rules was kind of sort of scattershot that in some cases they were nailed for, for for essentially like technicalities, like somebody's sitting at, at a table, they they're, don't have to wear the mask while they're actively eating or drinking, but they get up, they go to the bathroom, and they don't put on their mask, and the business gets fined. We, we didn't go after individuals. We went after the businesses. So here's, here is my question, right? Given where we are now and given the fact that we're coming out of this pandemic and given the fact that there was probably i think if we were to be fair there were probably some businesses that completely and totally ignored the rules but there were other businesses who tried to comply with the rules and just kind of got caught up in this all right here's the deal tom barrett mayor of milwaukee should he simply say we're waiving these fines all right we've done this we were doing this and we were using the fines as a way to encourage you know, businesses to try to comply. Now that we're at the point where CDC says you don't have to wear masks indoors anymore, now that we're past this pandemic, um, we don't want to punish these businesses. These businesses have been hurt really, really badly as a result of the pandemic to begin with. And so finding a business $5,000 or $10,000 that's been operating essentially at 25% capacity or or 50% capacity, continuing to actually say we're going to take that fine at this point in time, should we simply say, okay, let's forget this, let's move on? Should Tom Barrett follow the, I don't know, the, the procedures that the governor was doing in Florida and simply say, look, I'm pardoning people. We're going to move on. The purpose of this was back in February or back in January or last December, we wanted to encourage compliance. We're not going to collect the fines anymore. 
Wouldn't that be nice for those businesses that are struggling and have to come up with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of fines? 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, Mike, I, I can continue to be intrigued by this because we're making these reports and we're watching the cameras and I just still keep people see people getting on the freeway. Our camera's focused on Capitol Drive now, northbound, which is right in the heart of where the closure is. And you do, you do sort of wonder whether it would have been worth some police officer's time to go and shut off the, the on-ramp, you know, it just just take send one squad car over and say, okay, we're we're going to block the on-ramp. So for people who aren't listening to WTMJ, when we're telling you don't do this, don't get on the freeway, to stop cars from doing it because it seems like it's just making the matter worse. That's a great point. I was all, I was surmising the same issue with uh, Eric in the newsroom a, a few moments ago. I don't know why the 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 on-ramps aren't blocked yet. At least because you could then start turning people around and getting them off and sent on an alternate route. Well, well, right. Especially since we don't know how long yeah. this is this is going to be, and I, I I can't tell. But my guess is that they're 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 forcing some of these cars that are getting on. They're probably forcing them off. You know, it'll take forty five minutes to get to the next exit, and then they're going to force them off. I just you would think that okay, all all north all traffic going northbound or trying to get on south of where this accident this what this incident is whatever the incident is the, the, the freeway on ramp should be blocked so you can't get on because once you get on there's nowhere to go yeah. so and it does appear if you are heading in that direction and are luckily not on the freeway you can get on northbound at silver spring so if you just Okay, you were around there. You can get back on, yeah. Right, exactly. So, um, but but right now it, it is it is just a parking lot, and I've just kind of been every time I look up at the traffic camera, I see cars that are just they're they're pulling on, not recognizing again how bad that this must be, and now they're all backed up on the off ramp. So, just you think a squad car would go over and block the on ramps until until things could happen. But that's just us. I'm sure maybe there's a reason why they let people continue to get on a freeway that's closed. Uh, Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, good morning. Oh, good afternoon. Hi, Bill. Sorry. Uh, great topic. Um, I think, you know, had we listened to doctors to begin with, we would be over COVID. But everybody wanted to play doctor. Everybody wanted to be a chief. Nobody wanted to be an Indian. They all said, well, I don't like this, or you're infringing. It's not about your rights. It's about your responsibility. We're a community. We're a nation. We work together. If this had happened during polio, can you imagine what a horrible thing polio would have been? If we all, well, I'm going to wear my mask. He isn't. I'm going to. He doesn't have to. This guy can't tell me to wear a mask. That's nonsense. It's a proven fact. All medicine will tell you. We would have had half the problems had we listened to the authorities to begin with and not start making individual choices for our health and then health of our neighbors. Okay, but let me, let me bring around the point. So how do, okay, and so how, how does this relate to whether at this point in time we should waive fines, some of which were exorbitant that were put well, on businesses? Because we have to stick to the fines. Jeff, okay. I, went, uh, I got caught for doing 46 in a 35. You know, I'd like to be let off, mm-hmm. or I'd like to get some, uh, uh, we ought to, you know, uh, don't, don't charge them at their 10 miles over. Charge them at their 20 miles over. Mm-hmm. No, they broke the law. It was an ordinance. It was enforced. Mm-hmm. And I'd, we followed We followed the letter of the law. So we should get a discount. 
Well, right. well, I mean, I guess that's. I mean, right. That, I guess no. Well, no. That's. I mean, Bill. Thanks. For, I mean, that. I guess that. That's the argument. Now we, we, we waive fines uh, to help people not avoid their dr- losing their driver's licenses, or we suspend fines or things like that. I mean, I, I get it. I understand. I understand the the rules are rules sort of situation. There's no question. Let's be honest, though. In some communities, Milwaukee being one, it, it, the, these fines weren't just used for for COVID compliance. They they were used, and they turn out to be a, a revenue generator as as well. And in some cases, I would argue that they could be exorbitant as well. But a lot of these businesses, I guess, this is the question that have been struggling to stay open, and who've been told. All right, you, you can only operate with 25% capacity or 50% capacity. And the idea that you get hit with a five or a $10,000 fine or a $15,000 fine or whatever, look, that, that's, that's, in some cases, maybe it's the, the difference between being able to reopen permanently or not because they don't have the money to come up with that. And it's not a question of, gee, should we, should we just ignore the fact that they didn't ignore the that they didn't follow the rules? Maybe it's a question of should we look at what these different fines are, and should we see if you you had a business that was legitimately ignoring the rules and just was flaunting the rules and couldn't care less, or is this a business where okay you had the health inspector that was there? And in the example I gave, which is a real world example, you had people that were sitting you know having a beer. Somebody gets up, they go to the bathroom, they're not wearing their mask. It, it's should we look at a situation like that and say, okay, that's a technical violation, but we're not holding the person that went to the bathroom not wearing the mask. We're not holding them responsible for this. What we're going to do is we're going to fine the business X amount of dollars for doing that. Or at least maybe in those situations, if you don't feel comfortable with a blanket amnesty, if you don't feel comfortable with a blanket amnesty, is is it maybe reasonable to say, okay, let's take a look at some of this stuff, and, and maybe maybe what we want to do is we want to reduce a, a boatload of fines. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're, we're talking in this country. There is pressure on the President of the United States to wave his magic wand and forgive student loans <laughs> up to $50,000 in debt. I mean, the, the President of the United States says he's willing to, you know, forgive the first $10,000 of people's student loans, and those are things that people voluntarily did. It's sort of like amnesty, that type of thing. Should we take a, a reassessment of this, given that the idea was to try to get people to comply? And I understand you have to have some enforcement, and also given the fact that businesses in general have been hurting, and that some businesses probably, like I say, flaunted the rules, couldn't care about the rules, and other businesses probably really tried hard to comply with the rules, but, you know, struggled for a variety of reasons, including the fact that, you know, maybe you had some patrons who who weren't particularly uh, willing to comply. Just food for thought. Now, by the way, I, I, I live in the real world. I do not expect the mayor of Milwaukee or the Milwaukee Common Council to come out and do anything like this. I mean, heck, they, they haven't they haven't rolled back the mask requirement yet. So the idea that they might forgive money that's owned by the owed by the way the fines, I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Just saying. The governor of Florida says, look, I think this was kind of an overreach by some of these communities, and I'm going to issue blanket pardons. Would reducing the fines, if you don't feel comfortable about getting rid of all the fines, would reducing the fines perhaps be a good way to go? Just asking. All right. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. Should you pay ransom to pirates? And a lot of other stuff. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, we will fix this, Melissa, so people don't need to send keep sending me texts, right? Yes, the Rock Freeway is not further north. Right. And, and, and <laughs> I apologize that, that, for that. No, no, it's yeah. not, but it's not you. You're just reading. It's, it's been in the script all afternoon, yeah. and people have been texting me. I just me. realized that when I said it, I'm like, that's right. not right. I, and okay. I, I cannot yeah. tell you how I cannot tell you how many texts that I have received. Yeah. And, and, and yes, the, it, so it's still, apologies, it's, yes. Well, it's, but there, there's, there's, there's a problem. No, the, the, big, the big story is there's a problem on the Rock Freeway, though. Right. It, but, it's, but geographically, that's not right, it, it's, not, it's not further north. And we we do in fact That's know correct. that, so you do not have to keep texting that. It's, I, and the people have been texting the first couple of people. I just kind of ignored. Now I'm like, okay, I'll, no, I'll mention it. North. Right, I'll mention it. I'll mention it. I'll mention. It. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it, again, it's it's what happens is somebody writes the script, and then you guys have a lot of stuff going on, and yes. it's really not. It, it's not a central fact to the underlying story, which is that the, the freeway was closed, or right. this, or that, or the other thing. And so, as I was reading at the second, I was, that's not correct. Right, <laughs> no. exactly. But so, yeah, we, you got to correct right. yourself in a different way. No, know. no, exactly. Yeah. No, it's not you. It's been in the script all day, and it's partly my fault because I haven't mentioned it to anybody because I've been doing other stuff as well. But yes, we we know it. And yes. We pro- between Melissa and I, we promise the next fixed. time we tell it's fixed it's now. Fixed, How about that? Fixed. So thank you for all everybody who's been texting us stuff you we we have texted. We do know that the Rock Freeway is not north of that. Yes. Okay. On to other things. Um, actually, Melissa's news had a very, very interesting story beyond besides the, the freeway geography about the, this dark side group. Now, if you haven't been following this, they're, they're of course there, there was the, the Colonial Pipeline. Colonial Pipeline is a pipeline from the Gulf of Mexico that provides about 55% of the oil and gasoline up and down the East Coast. Um, Colonial Pipeline shut down last Friday because it was the subject of a ransomware, a cyber attack from this Eastern European group that calls itself Darkside. What Darkseid does is, is they're, 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 they're pirates. I mean, that, that's what they are. It's a cyber attack where they, they say that, you know, we're going to lock up your computer system unless you, you pay us money. Um, and if you don't do pay us money, we're going to lock it up so your computer system, you know, can't, can't be worked. You know, you can't access this. We'll destroy it, et cetera, et cetera. Darkseid claims to have broken into networks on more than 80 companies dating back to August of last year. Um, they claim that they are an experienced team of ransomware creators, and they say that they previously made millions of dollars infecting victims' networks, you know, and just destroying the computer system. Darkside claims to engage in extortion, threatening to publicly publish data belonging to its victims if they don't pay the ransom. The hackers have said they're willing to sell inside information about publicly traded companies if these companies refuse to meet their ransom demands. They are pirates. And again, they, they call themselves dark side. It's sort of like the, the dark side of the Internet. And they attacked Colonial Pipeline. Colonial Pipeline, in response to this, shut down. And I think you've probably seen the stories. It's caused huge problems this week on the East Coast. Gasoline, $7 a gallon or more in Virginia. Gas lines, I mean, it's like a return to the Arab oil embargo of 1970, um, whatever. Uh, you can just, you just see this whole thing like playing out now. And, and part of this, the problem was 
I know we talked about this the other day on the show. People, we are our own worst enemies because there's there's actually plenty of gasoline. You know, there, there's there's all sorts of of gasoline that's in huge storage areas all, all up and down the East Coast. But uh, what happened is people panic. It's just like what happened during COVID at the beginning of COVID, where you had people that were running and instead of buying. I don't know, a two-month supply of toilet paper. They bought a year's supply of toilet paper. It started a run on toilet paper, and that created these artificial shortages. The same thing happened this week up and down the East Coast. Like I say, there's plenty of gasoline, but there, there might be a timing sort of issue because instead of being delivered by the uh, pipeline, it, it has to be delivered in trucks. And, and what would happen is you'd have people who normally would fill up their tank on a Saturday. Well, all right, they, they've got like half a tank and it's Tuesday. They rush and, and get in line. And so you have all these people doing it, and it creates this artificial run on gasoline. And that's why you have the, these gas lines and the inflated prices and all the, the silliness. If people just behaved with a, a modicum of restraint, and, and of course, this is not a surprise. It's the same story you see all the time. You know, when we get a report that, hey, there, there's going to be six inches of snow, people rush out buy every gallon of milk they can find in the grocery store, buy every can of soup that they can find. You know, it just It's this panic where you want to kind of say, look, this is Wisconsin. It's going to snow. And even, even if we get a foot of snow, the, the roads are going to be open by the next day as soon as the storm stops. And, and yeah, I, I understand that you want something to eat, but you don't need a six-month supply of canned soup. You're going to be get, able to get out of the house. But we panic. We panic and buy toilet paper. We panic and buy, the, the, the in this case, the, the gasoline. And it takes a situation and it makes it worse. And it empowers the, the pirates. It empowers the hijackers. Anyhow, the basic philosophy with dealing with this has been you do not pay. You you do not pay the hijackers. You do not pay the kidnappers. You do not pay the cyber attackers because when you pay them, all it does is embolden them to do something else, to, to go after some other target. If they weren't being paid, they wouldn't they wouldn't theoretically they, they wouldn't operate. All right. Well originally the the story had been that Colonial Pipeline said we're not going to pay. It now turns out that they did pay. Here's the story in the Wall Street Journal. Colonial Pipeline Company paid a ransom to criminal hackers who caused the company to shut down the country's largest conduit of fuel, according to people familiar with the matter, a payment that allowed the firm to obtain decryption tools to try to unlock its computer systems. Well, it gets better, though. Wait a minute. The ransom paid in cryptocurrency was approximately $5 million at the time of the transaction according to sources familiar with this. The company restarted pipeline operations Wednesday and said it was resuming service throughout the entire system Thursday after the cyber attack. It couldn't be learned whether the ransom payments directly enabled control, Colonial to restart the conduit. Um, <clears throat> Bloomberg reported earlier yesterday that Colonial had paid the hackers a sum of nearly $5 million and said the decryption tool ultimately wasn't effective in restoring the operations. So Colonial, at least according to these reports, paid the ransom, got a decryption tool, and 
it didn't work, or it worked extremely slowly. Instead, Colonial was able to recover by relying on system backups. So they paid the ransom, and it's not like the person that was kidnapped was even returned. They got something, but it wasn't working. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I think there's a number of different stories that are out there because of this. One story is, of course, that the panic buying that we engage in while we're really our worst enemy. Secondly is the fact that the, the cybersecurity attacks pose a major, a major threat to the operation of this country. And if you were asking me one quote-unquote infrastructure thing where the Biden administration and the Republicans and Democrats in Congress really need to focus on, it is helping protect, number one, companies from these cyber attacks, and number two, vigorously and aggressively doing everything they can to identify and prosecute the pirates who are responsible for this, understanding that sometimes it's difficult because they're probably in somebody's basement in Ukraine or or somewhere else. So I understand there's problems. It needs to be a priority. Third point is this is a lesson to any of these companies that cybersecurity protection needs to be a priority. Part of the thing is we, we do have kind of an aging infrastructure system with regard to the computer systems, and, and these hackers are, are just much better than I, I think a lot of the companies in their security systems. That's got to stop. So those, those are three points. My fourth point, though, is what I want to discuss with you. The idea of paying ransom to these people, in this case, Colonial Pipeline paid them $5 million, and they, they didn't get what they wanted. They got a decryption tool that they ended up not needing anyhow. I understand they're under the gun, but if you pay millions of dollars to these pirates, aren't you simply emboldening them and enabling them? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a minute. Should they have paid the ransom? And like I say, they, they didn't get what they paid for anyways, according to the reports. But by paying the ransom, have they simply encouraged this group? And I understand Melissa's report. The group says it's disbanding. I'll believe that when I see it. 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look, I understand Colonial Pipeline is between a rock and a hard place. They, they get hacked by this Eastern European group. The pipeline has to shut down immediately. What happens is people freak out and they rush and they use all the gas. They get all the gasoline they possibly can. And now there's gas lines and the price is $7 a gallon. So they're incre- under incredible pressure. But by paying the ransom, do they really help anything big picture? And in this case, apparently they paid for decryption stuff. And then it turns out it, it, it was either too slow or didn't work Anyways, let's start with um, Pam in Madison. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi, Jeff. Yeah, our uh, company got hacked a little over, well, it was just before COVID. And uh, the company policy was that we were not going to pay the ransomware, which was requested in uh, crypto. And, but man, I'll tell you, what a nightmare. I have never suddenly been forced to realize how dependent I am on, uh, you know, software, the Internet, just simple things like uh, emails. I mean, you don't realize how much your your systems are connected right. until something like this happens. And it, it literally shut us down. I mean, you know, you can do some things. I'm a broadcaster like you, so you can obviously do something. But holy man, all your systems. And what I learned is 
the federal government got involved, even even though we're obviously not like the oil company, federal government got involved immediately. We had uh, insurance that covered this kind of mm-hmm. attack. Uh, had to get a law firm involved to go back and um, start pulling all the documentation for an insurance claim and for further investigation. And to tell you the honest to God's truth, I think to this day we still don't have all of our systems 100% uh, back up and and running. I mean, to the average bear, they wouldn't notice it, but I do. And uh, I, I just could not believe that it happened to us, and that mm-hmm. it just kicked our legs out from underneath it. And it, and in, in, a, in a, a business that, quite honestly, isn't like a hospital, isn't like electricity or right. obviously oil. So. Well, and, and, but and your company did not pay. Correct. Did not. That was our that was our policy, and is our policy even after that experience. Yeah, and, and no, thanks. And, and I see. And it seems to me you now maybe it's easy to say. And look, and I, I understand what's going on here because you, again, this is a gas pipeline. It, it, you know, it's bringing fuel to these coasts. And, and like I say, there was plenty of fuel. There was not a shortage. You you can live with this pipeline being shut down for for a week, but. Because what happened was because everybody rushes out and tries to fill up their tanks or whatever that that created like a, a supply shortage. We've got all this the, we've got all this gasoline that's sitting in storage stuff, but we got to get the trucks there. But okay, so now everybody's making a run on the gas station and the trucks can't keep up with the demand, even though there, there's plenty of gasoline that's out there. But but by paying these pirates, what you do is, is enable them and embolden them. But I appreciate Pam's comments. It's certainly a certainly a mess. There's no question about it. Um, Mick, Mick and Bayside. Mick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, how you doing? Uh, hi there. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm in the business, uh, so to speak, um, in terms of uh, you know mitigating these things. One of my clients is a is a is a law firm um, downtown Milwaukee, and uh, they called me one morning and said, "Hey, look, uh, we can't get into any of our files. Um, can you come in and help us out?" I said, and they and they told me about the um, you know, the, yeah, you, we got your files message that they got. And uh, I said, okay, I, I remoted in, shut them down. I said, do not, nego- you know, do not pay these people. Right. Um, and I told them, yeah, I, I went over there, uh, I, I restored from backup from about a half hour earlier before this happened. And they were back up and running real quick, but we had attorneys running around. They got to go to court and they got, uh, you know, they're preparing for their cases. But yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's there's ways around that. It's <laughs> got a good uh, good team, you know. But, so. but right, but but your philo- your advice is what, why do you tell them not to pay? What, why why do you say don't pay? Well, the biggest reason not to pay is exactly what you said. You you just you're just emboldening them. Uh, I mean, if there's no money in it. They're not gonna they're not gonna keep doing it. And uh, I mean, I go right. you know, being a giant utility, it's it's going to be a situation it's, it's not a you know it's a lot a lot larger of a thing right but, but yeah i mean don't panic uh hopefully you've got a good team in place to uh right. well but know, to it, mitigate stuff like that but you know mick it, it also underscores how, how this has to be a priority now i mean i'm sure like let, let's take like a pipeline business i I'm, I'm sure conventionally you're thinking okay what what are what's our most likely problem well leaks or you know or supply disruptions or something like that nowadays in 2021 probably the biggest maybe the biggest threat to your business since we're also dependent on computers is is that that cybersecurity thing that's almost like that's got to be the prior the, 
biggest priority because that can shut you down in its entirety. It's paramount. It is paramount. Yep. Yep. No, thanks to call. I appreciate it. Again, this is and. Uh, it, this this is one of the problems that you end up having with this situation, and I and and I understand this was a different one because Colonial is, I'm sure, under all sorts of pressure, under pressure from consumers, under pressure from customers, probably under pressure from the government as well. I mean, if I'm the governor of what was North Carolina, where you had 28% of the stations were out of gasoline. I mean, if I'm the governor, I understand there's all this political pressure because he's got people, their, their big concern is, hey, I need gasoline for my car, and there's no gas stations in, you know, Apple Jam turnaround North Carolina that's selling gasoline. What am I going to do? So, th- I mean, there's all this pressure that's out there. And, and so I understand it's a bad situation to be in. But in this case, Colonial apparently, after saying they weren't going to do it, they paid the five million bucks and the thing they got from the hackers didn't they didn't have to use it anyways or else it was too slow. OK, that's it for me. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news.